It's time for the May 26, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on World Dracula Day. From the University of California on KUCI 88.9 FM, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And, as always, the reason Coke took the Coke out of Coke, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> that's, that's why, right there. Get it out, Mahler. Yeah, there you go. Today we'll be talking about the revenge of Orcus, E-Skin, correct creative thinking, hell on the rise, and so much more. But first, do you have any recollections of your infancy, Mike? No, I don't remember anything before three years old. I don't know if I remember my infancy. Yeah. Say, like, I don't know what kind of diapers I wore. Yeah. Do you remember what kind of diapers you wore? No. Cloth or disposable? Oh, I'm sure they were cloth. You were? Yeah, I don't... Huh? Th- at that time? In the they... 1930s and 40s, they were coming up with disposable. Oh. It, it took off after World War II because of oh. technology that hmm. they developed to... That I can't remember. Do you yeah. remember if yours were cloth or disposable? Uh, they were cloth. Okay. And they had pins. I remember the pins. From New Atlas, researchers from Japan created a composite building material by replacing sand and concrete and mortar with a common non-degradable waste product, used disposable diapers. The researchers prepared concrete and mortar samples by combining washed, dried, and shredded used disposable diapers with cement, sand, gravel, and water. The samples were then cured for 28 days. In the concrete needed to form columns and beams in a three-story house, the study found they could replace 10% of the sand with disposable diaper waste. They shouldn't use the word waste there. Yeah. But I know what they're saying. Yeah. Old, used disposable diapers. In a single-story house, the proportion increased up to 27%. In terms of the mortar used to create partition walls, the researchers could replace up to 40% of sand with diaper waste. So, Nathan, in yeah. a manner of speaking, you're saying you can replace soil with soiled. I wish I hadn't heard that. Okay. You may laugh, Mike, or make bad jokes, but across the globe, more than 18 billion disposable diapers end up in landfills each year. So in the future... The Irvine Company may be selling homes made of nappies. <laughs> Sometimes I wish Mahler were wearing a diaper. Yeah. yeah there are times yeah. where it would yeah. just be a lot easier. It would be. No, you, you, Mahler, you, no, you, you say that, but it is a mess. I, I wonder what the world was like before diapers. Hmm. Yeah. From the New York Times, a scan of an Achimese mouse skeleton revealed that their tails are lined with osteoderms, or bony plates, making them only the second group of living mammals known to be equipped with underskin armor, like an armadillo. So you got a mouse mm, yeah. with armor wow. under its skin. The Achimese mouse is found in rock outcrops throughout Africa and Europe. The discovery came when researchers were scanning specimens for the Open Vertebrate Project, an effort to build a public online database of 20,000 vertebrate specimens from museum collections across the United States. The purpose of the mouse armor isn't clear. 
Like, why would a mouse need armor, mm -hmm. especially in its tail? But we can only guess that the spiny mice may use their osteoderms to shield themselves from predators who are going after their tail. You know, they're running away. Yeah. They got this tail with armor on it. Yeah. They could be like a triceratops mm -hmm. swatting their so, yeah, uh, enemy. exactly. If you'd like some underskin armor, may I recommend a donation to KUCI for 24-7 protection from boredom. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From Cosmos Magazine. Researchers in Zambia found that mosquitoes prefer a certain body sense in seeking out human targets. They're looking for particular smells here. And they have, uh, in an experiment, they actually found out what the smells were. Okay. Would you like to fathom a guess? I, I couldn't. Uh, uh, nut bars, maybe? <laughs> nut bars? Yeah. That would be... To test the importance of carbon dioxide and yeah. body odor in mosquito preference, a team of researchers from the U.S. and Zambia built a 20-meter square flight cage arena. <laughs> That's what they called it. They then released 200 hungry mosquitoes into the arena with six humans over subsequent nights and tracked their activity using infrared motion cameras. Mm -hmm. As well as recording the mosquitoes' preferences, the researchers collected nightly air samples from the tents to characterize 40 different chemical components of each person's body odor. So they knew what the person smelled like. Yeah. And they knew where the mosquitoes were going. They found that mosquitoes were more attracted to people whose body odors contained more carboxylic acids or goatee odors. Goatee odors. So they were more attracted to yeah. the, the carbolic acids. Okay. Goatee odors are like a Limburger cheese is what they were saying. Okay. So the, more the stinky cheese. And yeah. they didn't like so much the lower levels of carbolic acids and elevated levels of eucalyptal, a French camphor like odor. Oh, good. So eucalyptus, you know, you Very all hear good. about that for driving away all sorts of bugs. Yeah, and I, and I love the smell leaves. of eucalyptus. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Or just get the, the uh, concentrate there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. I want to know who drew the short straw on that study. Like, okay, we need uh, six guys here to... Well, I, I to, would imagine... To be they a pincushion for a bunch of mosquitoes. Uh, they probably picked people forward. with a tolerance yeah. for getting bit, and yeah. they didn't have any yeah. allergic reactions. Right. I don't think you'd want somebody swelling up on you. In no, there. no. From Live Science, yeah. scientists discovered a possible antidote to the death cap mushroom the most lethal mushroom in the world. The antidote, fluorescent dye, mm. endocyanine green. Okay. The dye is commonly used in medical imaging to help access the functionality of the heart and liver. But an international team of scientists have found that it also stops alpha-aminotin, the death cap mushroom's primary toxin dead in its tracks. So it stops that from going on, the well, toxin. that's good news. So far, this antidote has worked in human cells, many models of the liver, and in mice, but it hasn't been tested in humans. And you can probably yeah, guess why. figure out why. Yeah. From the New York Times, for centuries, cheetahs roamed vast areas of India and prowled among lions, tigers, and leopards, 
But in 1952, they were declared extinct after decades of hunting, shrinking habitats, and vanishing prey. Last year, the Indian government sought to bring back cheetahs by introducing the species to the country again, bringing 20 of them from South Africa and Namibia. Those efforts suffered another setback after two cheetah cubs died from dehydration due to extreme heat. Mm. That was just uh, yesterday. Mm. Another is in critical condition. In the last 50 days, three other cheetahs died at Kuno National Park. In one case, a female cheetah was killed during a violent interaction with two older males after they were put in the same enclosure for the purpose of mating. Another male cheetah brought from South Africa died of heart failure last month, and a female died of kidney ailment in March. Speaking of animals that deserve a break, Mm -hmm. remember Shamu, Mike? I do remember Shamu. The killer whale. The killer whale. I believe out of the San Diego Sea World is where I believe Shamu was headquartered. Headquartered, yeah. And, and you know, it was kind of like Rin Tin Tin with Shamu, too. They had an original, and oh, then, they, then right. they had replacements for Shamu. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently the last one, uh, in 1971, bit a woman who was riding yeah, her yeah. Shamu as part of a publicity event. Yeah. They were filming this. This woman survived, but they had to pry her out of Shamu's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Because Shamu wouldn't let go. And they say it was because the woman was not wearing a wetsuit. Shamu was not used to being ridden by someone who wasn't wearing a wetsuit. A, a bare-skinned person. Yeah. Yeah. But they did say that Shamu was acting a little bit erratic in the days before this happened. Wonder why. Maybe being confined in a tank for your entire, yeah. basically your entire adult life where they are absolutely dependent upon sociability and all, all kinds yeah, of things. And lots they, of places to roam. And lots of places to roam and yeah. uh, suddenly may have reached a breaking point randomly, independently of whatever circumstances were in front of her. Shamu's revenge. Shamu. From live science, orcas attacked and sunk a third boat off the Iberian coast of Europe, and experts now believe the behavior is being copied by the rest of the population. Wow. Three orcas, also known as killer whales, struck the yacht in the Strait of Gibraltar off the coast of Spain and pierced the rudder. The little one shook the rudder while the big one repeatedly backed up and rammed the ship with full force from the side. After observing the big one's technique, the two little ones slammed into the boat too. (sighs) Spanish coast guards rescued the crew and towed the boat to Barbate, but it sank at the port entrance. Two days earlier, a pod of six orcas assailed another sailboat navigating the strait. A passenger aboard the vessel said a mother orca appeared to teach her calf how to charge into the rudder. So you got on-job training right there. This is just very much in keeping with what I know of about uh, whales, uh, killer whales especially, is that they are very much mentoring. It was definitely some form of education, yeah. teaching going on. Yeah. The, uh, Observers said, reports of aggressive encounters with orcas off the Iberian coast began in May 2020 and are becoming more frequent. Assaults seem to be mainly directed at sailing boats and follow a clear pattern. You think we could pitch this story to Disney, Mike? Kind of make a revenge of the orcas yeah, things going on? Yeah, this is maybe I, up it a little bit. I wonder what the reaction should be. In other words, are they 
and we've established by now that the whales are among the highest functioning of all the animals in our world, that they do have language, they do have social interaction, they, they are an evolved species. Is our reaction to be violent with them, or is it our reaction to try to understand why they have had it? <laughs> they're fed up with whatever it is that they're, they seem to What's be reacting. What's the first choice? Are we violent? Are there people waiting for them to attack another sailboat and, and then kill them? I don't know. I'm not suggesting I think it. these are just people like in Laguna Beach and everywhere else. They jump in their boats and dog the, the orcas, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, good, yeah. And the orcas kind of get fed up with it after it's a while. Pretty darn interesting. It's interesting that they'd go after the sailboats, though. Rather than you would think they'd go after something making a lot of noise, but maybe that frightens them. And maybe they are concerned about the propeller being something that they might. There you go, because they're hitting the rudder. Yeah, they're hitting the, the sailboat. So they figure that out. And these are smart, smart mammals. Smart mammals, unlike us. Unlike us. Well, we're smart, and then we're not. We we have lapses that well, are. Well, I think orcas probably have lapses. You think? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh. <laughs> you know what? I mean, you're underwater. You, yeah. You, you got your, yeah. There's well, some, well, there's, there's a, some guy that has a lapse all the time. There's a mammal that lapses a lot. Yeah. yeah that's true. Come on, what? Yeah. It's funny. My question would be, why do we think other animals are perfect except for us? <laughs> From Nature Magazine, researchers at Stanford University have developed an electronic skin that can mimic the same process that causes a finger, toe, or limb to move when poked or scalded. The technology could lead to the development of a covering for prosthetic limbs that would give their wearers a sense of touch or help to restore sensation in people whose skin has been damaged. The e-skin was described as a thin, flexible sensor that can transmit a signal to part of the motor cortex in a rat's brain that causes the animal's leg to twitch when the e-skin is pressed or squeezed. We turned all the rigid materials into soft materials while still being able to have high electrical performance, the head researcher said. From Science Daily, a paralyzed man, and we're following up on this guy, because about a year ago we talked about him, a paralyzed man can walk naturally again with brain and spine implants. For more than a decade, Gert Jan Oskam has been paralyzed from the waist down. This week, scientists described his implants as a digital bridge between Oskam's brain and his spinal cord, bypassing injured sections and enabling him to stand, walk, and ascend a steep ramp with only the assistance of a walker. It's been more than a year since the implant was inserted. That's when we first talked about him. And Oscom has not only retained these abilities, but has showed signs of neurological recovery, walking with crutches even when the implant is switched off. That's pretty cool. Here's a guy who couldn't walk. We put an implant in to carry his signals to his limbs. We take that out, and the limbs remember. That's muscle memory. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM.
From Yale Environment 360, a new study reaffirming that global climate change is human-made also found the upper atmosphere is cooling dramatically because of rising CO2 levels. One big concern with cooling is the already fragile state of the ozone layer in the lower stratosphere, which protects us from harmful solar radiation that causes skin cancers. Mm -hmm. For much of the 20th century, the ozone layer thinned under assault from industrial emissions of ozone-eating chemicals like CFCs. Ozone holes formed each spring over Antarctica. The 1987 Montreal Protocol aimed to heal the annual holes by eliminating those emissions. But now another factor is undermining this effort, stratospheric cooling. Ozone destruction operates in overdrive in polar stratospheric clouds, which only form at very low temperatures, particularly over polar regions in winter. Another concern is that the cooling contraction means the upper atmosphere is becoming less dense, which in turn reduces drag on satellites and other objects in low orbit by around a third by 2070. On the face of it, this is good news for satellite operators. Their payload should stay operational for longer before falling back to Earth. But the growing amount of space junk, bits of equipment of various sorts left behind in orbit, are also sticking around longer, increasing the risk of collisions with current operational satellites. More than 5,000 active and defunct satellites, including the International Space Station, are in orbit at these altitudes, accompanied by more than 30,000 known pieces of debris, more than four inches in diameter. So we got warming where we are and cooling up above us. Too much of both. And that's what happened. That's what people never quite got about the formula for climate change or global warming. Right. It's not about exactly where you're standing, if I can hold a snowball in Congress, yeah. it doesn't mean that uh, it's not going to be too hot somewhere else. In fact, it's that very condition that causes the heat somewhere else. Senator Imhoff. Yeah, was the snowball idiot, fool. That yeah. idiot. And knowing full well that what he was doing was a stunt that was de- designed to essentially fool people into believing something that's simply not no, true. I actually believe he was that dumb. I mean, he knew it was a stunt, but well, there's a lot of people that think that. Well, it's cool today. Global warming really isn't real. Yeah, there was just a report that came out from the UN that is just devastating and awful and unthinkable. And we continue to march right down that road. From Grist, after a year of intense negotiations, the states along the Colorado River reached a deal to solve one of the most complex water crises in U.S. history. The solution is deceptive in its simplicity. Pay farmers, who collectively use 80% of Colorado River water deliveries, to give up their water. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to do. Representatives from Arizona, Nevada, and California announced that they had agreed to reduce the state's collective water usage by more than 3 million acre feet over the next three years. That equals around a trillion gallons, or roughly 13% of the state's total water usage. Under the terms of the deal, cities and irrigation districts in the so-called lower basin states will receive about $1.2 billion from the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act in exchange for using less water. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, that's the same Inflation Reduction Act that Republicans in Congress are trying to destroy by holding it as hostage. Uh, as part of the, the negotiations on the budget. In the debt 
Debt ceiling. Yeah. Debt ceiling. The compensated water cuts are larger than anything the river states have ever implemented before, but they are temporary, a band-aid for a crisis that is not going away anytime soon. That's right. From the Associated Press, the Supreme Court curtailed the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to police millions of acres of wetlands, delivering another setback to the agency's ability to combat pollution. Writing for five justices, Justice Samuel Alito Jr. said that the Clean Water Act does not allow the agency to regulate discharges into wetlands near bodies of water unless they have a continuous surface connection to those waters. The decision was the second major blow to the EPA's authority and to the power of administrative agencies generally. Last year, the courts limited the EPA's power to address climate change under the Clean Air Act. Experts in environmental law said the decision would leave many wetlands subject to pollution without penalty, sharply undercutting the EPA's authority to protect them under the Clean Water Act. The decision was nominally unanimous, with all the justices agreeing that the homeowners who brought the case should not have been subject to the agency's oversight because the wetlands on their property were not subject to regulation in any event. By the way, Michael Sackett, one of the plaintiffs in the case, this is one of the people bringing the case to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. who said that you know, he didn't want to follow the EPA's rules. He was sentenced to a year in prison following a sting operation uh, where he agreed to pay for sex with a 12-year-old uh, girl. This was in 2012. So this is the kind of character who yeah. is putting I, the case before the Supreme Court. There had to be some middle ground here. Uh, in other words, to strip the EPA of its ability to regulate the pollution that is occurring all over this country and to l- just strip it away so that there's no essentially guardrails anymore is hard to fathom, hard to square with a with a society that wants to live in an environment that's relatively clean. Where do we go now? Where do we go? Do we yeah, go well, back to Congress? All the justices agreed to the case, but there was a sharp disagreement about a new test that the majority established to determine which wetlands are covered by law. They could have just said this individual. Yeah, this particular uh, case. Yeah, but instead they made up a rule that essentially puts a new law in place. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, joined by three liberal justices in a concurring decision said the decision would harm the federal government's ability to address pollution and flooding. Well, duh. This is what uh, Kavanaugh wrote. By narrowing the act's coverage of wetlands to only adjoining wetlands, he wrote, the court's new test will leave some long-regulated adjacent wetlands no longer covered by the Clean Water Act. That's right. With significant repercussions for water quality and flood control throughout the United States. From Insider Magazine, Modern software allows manufacturers to tether product users to them forever. Companies are just beginning to monetize this control with dystopian methods and the assistance of America's unbalanced copyright laws. Tesla's software can detect and restrict features from car owners that use equipment not from the company. Yeah. Yeah. Mercedes-Benz and BMW charge users monthly fees for better acceleration and the use of heated seats. Printer companies get people to sign up for subscriptions that remotely monitor ink levels but can also shut off your printer if you fail to pay. You would think there'd be a law against this. 
But existing laws also work against consumers. For example, overly broad copyright laws in the hands of unethical manufacturers can make it a copyright crime to bypass their technical systems to repair their own device. The Digital Millennium Copyright Act was intended to prevent people from pirating music, games, or movies, but the manufacturers have argued that the Digital Millennium Copyright Act applies to software and firmware needed to fix or operate a piece of hardware. By this interpretation, if the manufacturer installs a digital protection measure around like a heater seat, bypassing that could be seen as piracy to fix your own car. So you could be charged with copyright piracy for trying to fix your car or your computer or your cell phone. We're moving further and further away from an ownership society into a renter's society where you don't own anything at the extreme end of all of this. You don't own anything. You're at the whim of whoever owns what you're using, and it's getting more and more and more pervasive. From MIT Technology Review, Tencent, the Chinese company that owns the payment system WeChat Pay, has been testing out palm print payment devices in China. Supporters of palm print recognition say the technology is more accurate and more secure than other forms of biometrics. But even with palm print recognition's benefits, it would come with privacy risks for consumers, not to mention practical complications. Retailers get hacked all the time. When most retailers get hacked, at worst, you have to change your credit card number. But you can't change your palm print if that gets compromised. Mm -hmm. From the New York Times, the Beijing Municipal Culture and Tourism Bureau accused a popular comedian, Li Haoxi, who goes by the name of House, of severely insulting the People's Liberation Army, China's military, during two live performances in Beijing. The authorities said his joke, which compared China's military to stray dogs, had a vile societal impact. Uh, don't worry. Yeah. You're not vile, Mahler. Mahler. They just said that his joke was vile. Yeah. We will not allow any company or individual to wantonly slander the glorious image of the People's Liberation Army, they said. The Bureau fined House's comedy studio around $2 million and also confiscated roughly $180,000 worth of what officials described as illicit income uncovered during an investigation by Beijing police. The investigation was started after a recording of House's joke was posted on social media. In it, he described a scene where two adopted dogs were chasing a squirrel. <laughs> no, I well, that's very yeah, relatable, Mahler, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, um, well, Mahler likes Mahler, that kind Mahler, of stuff. Yeah, he, he loves that humor. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The ferocity of the dog's pursuit, House said, reminded him of a well-known Chinese military slogan about virtue and grit. Maintain exemplary conduct, fight to win. That was the punchline. I don't know. This, this isn't hitting so, me really hard right so, now. but It's one of those, the more you think about it, the funnier it gets. You know, yeah. you've, you've left the club and you're thinking, oh, oh yeah, maintaining something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Xi Jinping, Ooh. the president of the People's Republic of China, had used that slogan in a political meeting with a military delegation in 2013, shortly after coming to power. So it's associated with Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. Maintain exemplary conduct, fight to win. Bada boom. 
Hoping to prevent further Xi Jinping stray dog jokes, Beijing urged artists and writers to have correct creative thinking and provide healthy spiritual <laughs> nourishment for the people. From The Guardian, according to a new study by the Policy Institute at King's College London, Generation Z, people born in the late 90s to the double aughts, and millennials, people born from 1981 to 1996 in the UK, this is in the UK, are significantly more likely to believe in hell than baby boomers, people born from 1946 to 64. So in other words, people 12 to 43 years old are more likely to believe in hell than people 58 to 76 years old. Which I think is just a matter of we don't want to go to hell. Maybe that's one reason. <laughs> I, I'm shocked. I'm really actually uh, very surprised to hear that. Yeah. Very surprised. Younger that's, people uh, are more likely to believe in life after death than older generations, despite being less religious. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess... You can have eternal life without religion. Without religion. Okay. The findings are part of the World Value Study, one of the largest academic social surveys in the world, which has been running for more than 40 years and covers 90 countries, ranging from Albania, Australia, and Argentina to the United States, Vietnam, and Zimbabwe. Now, I didn't find one story about where we stand, the United States stands in yeah. all this, but we weren't one of the top or the bottom in, in that religious part of the survey. Yeah, well, so maybe, the, maybe that generation you're describing is brand ad- adverse. They don't, they're really branding, because religion is all about branding. Yeah, right? Every religion has a good its way brand. To put it, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. brand adverse. Okay. According to its data, just under half, 49% of Britons said they believe in God, down from 75% in 1981. It's a big drop. Mm-hmm. In fact, only five countries, Norway, South Korea, Japan, Sweden, and China, are less likely to believe in God than the UK. Norway, South Korea, Japan, Sweden, and China. The Philippines, where Christianity is the national religion, topped the league, scoring 100% belief in God. 100%? Well, well yeah, yeah. Nobody, give, everybody give was afraid to yeah, say, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> wow. Belief in heaven among the UK public also has fallen from 57% in 1981 to 41% last year. But belief in hell and in life after death has remained largely consistent, 26% and 46% respectively. Hmm. So hell, 26%, life after death, 46%. The UK was among the most tolerant of the countries surveyed, with 82% of the public saying they trust people of a different religion. Only Sweden scored higher on tolerance. Mm -hmm. Only 12% of people in the UK agreed with the statement, the only acceptable religion is my religion. So only 12% in the UK thought that way, compared with 90% of Moroccans. Really? Yeah, 90% of the population of Morocco is Muslim. Yeah. And virtually all of those are Sunni. As far as I'm concerned, this heaven thing is, uh, yeah. is silly. It is silly. It's like you got all this good stuff going on around you. Yeah. Or the possibility for good stuff. And you need more. It seems kind of greedy to me. You expect your God to what? Yeah. It, yeah. So let's, we don't need to go there. I, yeah. I don't. You don't want to go there? No, I, I mean, you're right. I'm not, I agree with you. I just, it's a, it's a, and what it's happens a, when your friends don't show up? Yeah. You know, people just, always just, say, well, uh, you go to heaven, you meet aunt so-and-so. Yeah. You go to heaven, what if you don't meet her? What are, where she's you're walking around, where's she? where's she? And then it dawns on you. Wait a minute. 
Yeah. You know, where did where is she that? not here? Is she where else could she be? <laughs> That's a lot of angst going on there. Yeah. Did you see Ron Sanchez's rapid unscheduled disassembly, Mike? <laughs> did you happen to, happen to see that? I didn't see it because it was un, unseeable. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But I heard about it, quote unquote, heard about it. Yeah. Because if you were listening, you couldn't have heard about it at yeah. the time it was going on. Oh, my well, gosh. Well, you kind of heard about it yeah. only about 20 minutes late. Yeah, 20 minutes which late. Which is a great selling point for Elon Musk's Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> It couldn't happen to two nicer guys. Yeah. I mean, really, truly, this is, uh, if there is such a thing as a god, yeah. he, was, he had a hand in all of this. Yeah, yeah so I hope. And during all this, <laughs> what I think is funny is Donald Trump Jr. accidentally insulted his father. He I mixed see. up his words yeah. oh, while sorry. trying to condemn Ron DeSantis. What did he do? do you have he, what he said, said, Trump has the charisma of a mortician and the energy that makes Jeb Bush look like an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> That's what... Donald Trump Jr. said about his father. He made a mistake. He meant to say DeSantis. Of course he did. And and the thing about all that is uh, Elon Musk is really bad around human beings. And apparently Ron DeSantis is just a train wreck when it comes into uh, to play where he's with a small group of people trying to describe what he is about and what he wants to do. He's an absolute train wreck. So you put these two people together. And the only way they can communicate is... Online on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you got comedy, straight up. You I don't got care g- that they're on Twitter, but you think there should have been some event somewhere. Yeah. You know, even if it was just riding down an escalator. Yeah. <laughs> there should have been something. And finally, from Boeing, Boeing. The University of Pennsylvania just posted a new position on the Chronicle of Higher Education's Jobs Board. It's entitled The Panda Express postdoctoral fellowship in Asian American studies. Up next, the University of California's In-N-Out Hamburger postdoctoral fellowship in critical thinking. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.